One generation shall commend your good works to another. How can we be sure that in commending God's good works to the next generation, that they will take ownership of it? How can we be sure of that? Well, the answer, as we'll see in this letter from Paul to his protege, Timothy, the second letter, is this. Have a life worth following. From the Word of God, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Would you follow along with me? Open your Bibles, your apps, whatever you have, or they're Darday on the screen. 2 Timothy chapter 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crop. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. May God bless us this morning through this, his holy word. Let us pray. Father, bless us now through your word, not only to our minds to understand, but to our hearts to receive, that through our lives we may live. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had to lead a train of cars, like you're the lead car and a bunch of cars are following you? before GPS? Yeah, I've had to do that a number of times, and I, I don't know if there's a thing called directional dyslexia, but if there is such a thing, I think I've got a little touch of it. You know, I'll walk out of the hospital room, and I think, I feel like I should go left, so I better go right, right? And I'm usually correct if I do it that way. But when you, uh, when you, when you lead a train of cars and you don't, uh, don't follow quite the right way, uh, you can sort of imagine what people are saying behind you, you know, the, the, the digs and all of the, the comments. You just sort of imagine what they're saying and you pull in the parking lot and you turn around and they're all sort of turning around looking at you and laughing and, you know, you got to do a U-turn. You know, if you're leading something, a company, a family, a classroom, a small group, a friendship, you know, every now and then it's important to look behind you to make sure people are following, right? How can we be sure? How do we know that, that the people that are coming behind us in this church, this church has been here for 170 years. You know, faithfully, people have passed the baton generation to generation. How are we doing passing that baton? You can't just set it and forget it. You can't say, well, here's our church and this is what we believe and this is the culture and all. You can't just set it and forget it. Let me read to you a part of Harvard's original statement of its mission. Consider well the end of every student should consider well the end of his life and studies to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. Harvard was originally founded, like most universities in this country, originally founded 
with a mission statement that was clearly centered on Christ. You can't just set it and forget it. Even at a church, you can't just say, okay, well, here's our statement and this is who we are for time immemorial. You have to have a life worth following, generation to generation. So how do we have a life worth following? Let's take a look at this passage that, that explains it well. First of all, it's, well, and, and let me just give it to you up front. Here, it, it's, it's to follow someone worth following, despite the cost, in order to be shaped. To follow someone worth following, whatever the cost, because it will shape you and shape me. So first, uh, follow someone worth following. Uh, I love this book. There's a, there's a book called the dust, Walking in the Dust of the Rabbi. And the idea here is that you're following Christ so closely that, that you get the dust of the teacher that you're following on you. you know, so close enough to get the dust that, that the rabbi is kicking up as he walks along on you. To follow and to follow along closely. Verse 1 talks about power. You didn't see it, but let me just give it to you again here. You then, my child, be strengthened. And the word there is dunamis. It comes from, you know, you... you Hear the word dynamite in that, right? Have, have strength, have power, be empowered by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I want to take a couple of minutes just to dwell on what, what that's saying. What is exactly is he saying? When, when we're supposed to, 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 to dwell on that, to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, what's he saying? Let's slow down here and, and, and take a look at it. It's to go back and back and back again to grace. My, my daughter Caroline and I, a few years ago, went and did a painting class. I think it was sponsored by the Center for the Arts. And uh, I'd never, I, I think the last time I had painted, it was probably, I don't know, I, I won't say how many years ago. I was in grade school, I imagine. And uh, I was a little nervous. I didn't know what to expect. And went in there, and, and there was this canvas there, a blank canvas, and she had one too. So we were each, you know, painting our own painting. And, um, and I thought, well, what am I going to do? Bob Ross a couple of times. Maybe I'll paint a happy little bush or something, you know. And uh, so, you know, she, she uh, the, the leader of the class said, okay, and she starts, you know, this is how it's going to go. And she starts handing out this beautiful um, masterpiece um, by Monet, by Claude Monet, the leader of the French Impressionist movement. And it's a harbor scene of these, these fishing boats, and the colors were rich, and the sky was, was hued in this beautiful pastel colors. And uh, she had already uh, laid out for us also the, the palette and all of the dabs of paint. And she began to tell us how we mixed the paint in order to match Monet's painting. And I thought, well, I could do this, you know, right? So... so we began to mix the paint and began to put it on the, the, the canvas. And it was amazing how our, each of our canvases began to resemble the master, the masterwork that we had right with us. We kept going back to it again. We kept going back again and again and again to imitate what Monet had done. Now, some people might think, well, what that sounds like is just following Christ as an example. Let's read this again. You then, my child, be strengthened 
be strengthened by the grace. What's he saying? Go back to grace again and again and again. Go back to grace. Go back and back and back again. Because your life, the masterwork that is your life, has already been pictured by God. What Paul is saying is, is this, that grace is a done deal. It's a done deal. And when we go back and back and back again, we find a resource in knowing that, that God has already gone ahead of us in his recreative work for you and for me. That, that's not what you hear these days. That's not, that's not the uh, esprit de corps. That's not, the, that, that's not the, 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 the spirit of the age. Our, the spirit of our age is be authentic. Make yourself up from scratch. Start with the blank canvas and figure it out. That's the only way you can have an authentic life is if you can just come to the canvas and, and, you know, it, and, and, and that blank slate stand there and, and let your feelings guide you. Let your feelings set your course and your pattern of your life, your direction for your life. Let your feelings, your, your authentic feelings. And so this idea of authenticity has swept over our culture and our country and over the West. The psalmist says this, Psalm 27, 4. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Your strength, strengthening in grace is your experience with grace. Your, your interface with the masterpiece of the new life is your experience of grace. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord is to say, this is, this is not only an example for me to follow, but this is an inspiration for my life. To recenter your life on Christ is to be inspired that God has already begun a good work in you. And so you're to go back and back and back again, not to just try again to do better next time, but to train in righteousness, knowing that God has already begun that good work and promised to complete it in you. So we go back to the master. We go back to grace. We find by faith a strengthening of grace, we go back again to follow someone worth following. If you want to have a life worth following, follow the master. Follow in the dust of the rabbi. Follow closely enough to get that dust on you. Someone worth following is following someone worth following. And second, it's to follow someone worth following no matter the cost. Whatever the cost, and there will be costs. Because people can see, you know, if, if you want someone to follow you as you follow Christ, as, as Paul says in another passage, they're watching your life, and that's not to put pressure on you, that's to say there's opportunity here. But don't be fooled. What, what people see as you, as you sail your ship through your life, you know, they see what, when there are troubled waters, they see what you throw overboard and what you keep. 
They see what's the first thing to go in your life when, when things get inconvenient. They see what goes overboard in order to, you know, to, to buoy the ship. Whatever the cost. Like a soldier. Paul says, share in the suffering of a soldier. What is suffering? Sort of like long suffering. It's the idea that, and it says aim. The idea of a soldier is if you're not getting involved in civilian affairs, it's because you're on mission. You're single-minded and you're focused. You're persevering in it. And that means that, that you know what stays and what goes. If, if, it, if it helps you with the mission, if it helps you stay on course, if it helps you keep your direction and your aim, you keep it. And if it doesn't, it goes. But if it's the other way around, people can see that. They, they can understand what you're keeping and what you're throwing overboard. You know, in, in, in the early 1800s, after um, Napoleon lost uh, the war, there was a lot of instability throughout Europe. You know, you have a strong man who dictates how things are supposed to go, and then you remove that power and... And what ended up happening in Germany was the, the beginnings of, of anti-Semitism, and, and it affected a particular family uh, called the Marx family. Karl Marx's father was uh, a lawyer, and he wanted to practice law, and there was a threat to his business because... Anyone who had Jewish roots, anybody who was Jewish, was not allowed to run their own business, even law practice. And so they became Lutherans. And they moved to a new town. And Marx, Karl Marx, the son, watched his father just exchange his faith like an interchangeable part. He watched the commitment of his family just get tossed overboard. And they made a commitment to Lutheranism, but not a real one. And Marx understood the expediency of that. Later on, Karl Marx would say this, one of his most famous quotations. Religion is the opiate of the masses. You see, people get it. They get it. If, if what costs us is too much, if it costs too much for us to follow Christ and we exchange or we uh, throw overboard those things that are, that, that are inconvenient about following Christ, we're not being that, that single-minded, mission-oriented, focused, aimed soldier, suffering even, sacrificing the sake of what we hold most dear. Follow someone worth following, even when it costs. When people see you going through the troubled water and they see the way that faith buoys you, they take seriously the direction that you're heading. Now you say, well, I thought this was about grace, being strengthened in grace. This sounds like, like effort. Well, it is effort. But here's the difference, you know, this is, this is um, the way Dallas Willard puts it. He says, grace is opposed to earning, but not effort. Now think about that for a minute. 
In other words, what we do as part of God's gracious design for us in our faith, in our walk of faith, what we do in our walk of faith, when we're not earning God's favor, when we're not earning it, but our effort is to align ourselves with grace, those become means of grace, the means by which God continues to bring more and more of our life in alignment with what his design, his masterpiece, his, his even preconceived notion of all that you can be, the full, full body humanity that you're called to be a part of, the abundant life. So, so there is effort without earning because it shapes us. And this is really the final move. And we're going to take a little bit of time with this. That, that we're shaped. And it's okay. And it's, it's, it's a very different thing from being saved by works. It's, it's to participate in the work that God is doing. That is part of his grace. Is to say, here's something you can do. You can align yourself again and again with the grace of God. And you can practice your faith in such a way that you participate in your own sanctification. Your salvation is one. The good work that, that has been started in you, he will complete. But graciously, he invites us to take part in the shaping of it. And what Paul does here is he uses, he uses three, three images. You know, we've already talked about the soldier, now the athlete, and the farmer. And he uses these as virtues to help us see that there is a shaping of life according to virtues that come by the power of grace. Did you follow what I'm saying? There are virtues that come because of our effort, our participation in the grace and the powerful grace of God. To be inspired by that grace, to go back to it again and again and again, is to look for certain kinds of virtues to emerge in our life. And Paul puts a clear couple of images on it. The athlete who competes according to the rules, right? And the farmer, the farmer who shares first in the portion because the farmer has been part of the rhythm, the rhythm that has yielded the harvest. Let's think about that for just a minute. To be a part of a rhythm is to say that there's, there's something that we're participating in as a, as a human being, to, to be a, a part of some, something that is already there, already designed for us. The ebb and the flow. You know, I... I uh, I've got some blueberries at home that came from Peru. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I didn't go get them. I mean, they're just, I, somebody from Publix went down there, I guess, and they, they had them there on the shelf. And I, it's amazing, you know, we, we are so used to things just being right there because we have money and we can just go get it. And we don't recognize what it takes to be part of the ebb and flow and rhythm of the seasons to be a part of a design. The Canadian philosopher Charles Taylor talks about how, how distant we've, we've, we've drifted from understanding ourselves as part of the ebb and flow of a bigger design for us. And he uses these you know, fancy words, uh, poiesis and mimesis. And the idea of poiesis is that it's back to that blank slate, that well, really... Life is just made up of the raw material, and we're going to construct our own meaning out of it. But mimesis is the idea that, that life is designed, and we're participants in what God has provided for us. Oh, you see, the shaping 
of a human life according to its design requires that we understand that we're part of an ebb and flow and rhythm, part of one another's lives, part of a community of faith, part of the season, part of the structure that God set up for us. The humility of depending on those rhythms is what he's calling us to. The humility of, of disciplining ourselves so that, it, you know, as, as the athlete does, getting up early in the morning and just shaping, shaping, shaping the capacity, the lung capacity, the endurance. You see, we can't fool ourselves into thinking that, that the way we live our lives doesn't have some shape on us, especially in terms of the virtue that we're living out, that other people are following and seeing. I want to close this by, by uh, referencing something that, uh, it's a movie that I haven't seen, but I've seen the, the, the scenes that I heard somebody else mention that just captivated me, and it's a, it's a, it's a movie, um, and by the way, this is a, this is a philosopher who, uh, who, who's in the Midwest, Christian philosopher named Jamie Smith, and he makes reference to this movie, Lady Bird, which I've, uh, it's a coming-of-age film of a young woman who is uh, tired of her hometown and, and tired of her family and looking to be free and looking to find her identity and looking to invent herself, you know, according to the poiesis or raw material of, of the world, not entering in penny or appreciating what has come before her, not not saying that, you know, I mean, you know, think about this for a minute. Most of life, most of your most vulnerable and most, um, uh, your, your most malleable time of your life is imitating someone else, learning how to speak, learning how to eat, learning how to walk. And then just when we're at the point when we can be, uh, begin to do things even more on our own, so often in our culture, because of our affluence, we reject what's come behind, b- before us, and we want to make it up all on our own. And this is an illusion. It's denial. And here's this young woman who's saying, I want to get out of here. I want to get away from the West Coast where she grew up. She wants to go to the East Coast, and she wants to, she wants to make things up all the way. And she decides to call herself, instead of Christine, she starts to call herself Ladybird and is asking everybody to call her by this new name. She wanted to make up her identity from scratch. At one scene in, in the movie... She's, uh, she's, she's reviewing with one of her professors, one of her teachers, a paper that she had written about her hometown. And the, the teacher reads back the line to her, uh, one of these lines, and she says, you know, this sounds like love to me. It sounds like romantic love. You're describing your hometown, and it sounds like romantic love. And she says, well, I, I, uh, I pay attention. She said, well, pay atten- paying attention is a lot like love. Paying attention. To go back and back and back again. The grace of God is to pay attention. At the end of the, of the movie, uh, Christine calls her mom in this, this moment of reconciliation. I'm going to read to you the line. She says, hi, mom, it's Christine. Yes, that's my name. That's a good one. You gave it to me. I want to ask you something. She's leaving this on her voicemail. This is powerful. She says, I I want to ask you something, and I want you to think about it. 
Did you feel emotional the first time you drove through our town? I did. And I want to tell you, I wanted to tell you, but we weren't really talking when it happened. All those bins I've known my whole life and the stores, the whole thing. And I wanted to tell you, I love you. Thank you. Go back again. Verse 1 of this chapter, Paul writing to his protege says, you are in Christ. It's a new address. It's a place for you to think of your faith in terms of of grace is to say, God has made a place for me, a, a place from which I can observe the beauty of the Lord. Again, the psalmist, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. God has given us all that we have to be stewards of it, to follow whatever the cost that he may shape us as we participate in his gracious goodness. That's what it means to be part of this church and to look out at a new year and to say, Lord, you're already there ahead of us. We commit ourselves to you again. That's what, that's what this annual ceremony is really all about, is to say, all that I have, I render unto him. All that I have, I line up again. All that I am, I know that in gazing upon the beauty of the Lord, I am connecting again with that inspired place of grace, that he may work it further into, even to my muscle memory, like an athlete. So this morning, as you come forward as families and, and between you and the Lord, you know, just pledge yourself again. This is the part that represents the whole. Let's pray together. Holy God, how we thank you for your gracious goodness to us that gives us the power to become all that you have envisioned human life to be. The glory of God is a man or a woman fully alive. Lord, we would live into our full humanity to go back again, Lord, to the grace, the power of it, to know that this morning there, there, there are costs to having a public witness of faith together. There are costs. Lord, I pray that that by the means of sacrifice, you would shape us into the people you, you're dreaming that we can be, that, that you have already dreamed up, that you've already envisioned that is possible because of Christ on the cross and his resurrection. And I pray, Lord, also that through the means of our pledging and our giving, not only of a livelihood, Lord, but our lives, our whole lives, you would shape us according to the virtues that inspire the generations to come. For we pray it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.